0: Today we are going to be in Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18, wrapping up chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Malachi 3. If not, that is okay. You'll see the words on the screen behind me. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of your keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed? Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Bow with forward prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much again for this time we've had to, to gather, to fellowship with one another, to, to worship, to sing. And Father, now for this time to, to hear your word and respond to it in worship as well. Father, I pray that you would put me aside and that you would, you would shine through this in spite of uh, my feeble efforts and that you would be glorified and you would be honored through the, through the proclamation of your word and through the response as well. Father, we ask that you would just continue to speak to our hearts. You he would continue to challenge us. You would continue to convict us, draw us close to you, and let us honor and glorify you at the same time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's fun if you were in the, in the room earlier. And like I said, I would encourage folks that are watching online to be in the room because it is there's just some moments we have that are great. We were talking about some things that are that are a little creepy. We were actually talking about snakes and, and our encounters with snakes. And we were laughing and joking around about some encounters with snakes. And some of us that grew up a little more rural, we would like to keep snakes around. We'd put them out in the farm, or out in the corn crib, or we'd put them out in the out in the barn or in the hayloft to keep the rats and the the mice and the vermin down. And and they are not a bad thing in that regard, but we were talking about things that can be a little bit afraid. And, And we're thinking about that. Have you ever really been afraid? Like irrationally afraid? Ridiculous, crazy kind of fears. Are there things out there that really just, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of, but they make you afraid? See, like for me, I'm (laughs) <laughs> silly, I'm a little freaked out by escalators. I I know it's just a staircase that moves. That's weird to me. And like, there's a legit phobia out there of escalators. It's called escalophobia. And it appears that I might have a mild case of this. And it's stupid. <laughs> and I know that it's stupid to be afraid of an escalator. Like, I should be able to go into Macy's and go into the men's department and not have a little heart flutter. I get that that's something I should be able to do. I blame my dad, though. I love my father. I'm not saying anything bad, but I blame dad. Because when I was little, he would always tell me when we'd get close to the top of the stairs at the escalator, either in Sears or wherever we were at, you better jump so the thing doesn't bite your toes off. Right? That was his thing when I was little. And, and, and it Always kind of creeped me out because Dad only had one leg, and I figured one-legged men knew about these things, right? That he must have known. And so, to this day, forty-seven years old, I get a little flutter when I'm getting on or off an escalator. Leah doesn't like. I, I tell her, just you just go ahead of me. Let me do my thing on the escalator. Like it takes me a little bit of time, and she laughs at me the whole time. I know that it's irrational but somewhere in my head still there's this three-year-old boy who's afraid he's going to lose his toes in the escalator. I know this is irrational. I know this is ridiculous. I know this is an unhealthy fear. But I also know that there is a rational, logical, healthy fear that we should have. And that is a true fear of the Lord our God. And that's what we're going to kind of look at. Right. Last week we 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 looked at how God was a reconciling and redeeming God, and how He reconciles and redeems His own. That He is elected to love His people, and He is committed to keeping His covenant with them. And if we, those of us who call on the name of Jesus Christ, seek to keep our part of the covenant, there must be a response in our part. Right? It, it, it's not always one sided. That the, the, those who truly fear God, those who are who are really called by Him, we are set apart. Right? We're set apart by God, and we are His treasured possession. And fearing the Lord is a rational, logical, and healthy part of our sanctification process. And as we grow more in the Lord, we're going to see what fearing the Lord really looks like more and more. Now, it seems really odd. Leah read some scriptures that kind of like, wait a second, what's going on here, right? fear not, fear not. Fear not. It seems odd to talk about fearing God when we read in Scripture so often the phrase, fear not, when people do have encounters with the divine. Jesus, right after the resurrection, said, peace be with you, or do not be afraid multiple times to the disciples and to others that he encountered. But yet, if we go back to that time of Jesus, while on the cross, one thief says to the one who mocks Jesus, do you not even fear God? So which is it? Do we fear God or do we not fear God? The answer is yes and no. All at the same time, right? See, if we have Christ working in our lives, and if you're surrendered to Jesus, if you've surrendered him, you have no reason To really fear God. There's no reason to cower before God in that way. But you should hold this reverential, humble respect for just how holy God is. A a reverential and holy respect for how righteous God is. A reverential and, and holy respect of how powerful God is. See, those who are in Christ have no need to fear God's judgment. We have no need to fear God's eternal punishment. He is our loving father. But but as his children, we should be in fearful awe of his power, his righteousness, his holiness. And amazed by that. See, throughout Malachi, as we've been looking at Malachi, throughout Malachi, we've seen Israel making some ridiculous, not just ridiculous, but even blasphemous complaints about God. And this passage, verses 13 through 18, are no different. Here the people say that, that it is vain to serve God. Now, this is, this is vain. We've been, we've been in Ecclesiastes, and, and vanity upon vanities upon vanity shows up over and over again in Ecclesiastes. And this is vain, and that is, is a, this idea of, of breath, right? This is not vain like we think of vanity in the 21st century. This is, to the, to the Hebrew people, this is being useless or a waste of breath to serve God. I can't imagine the people of God claiming that it is useless or a waste of breath to serve God. But that's the claim they're making. They make this claim that it is useless to keep His commandments, that it is useless to walk as in mourning before the Lord. Now that, that walking in mourning before the Lord, it's kind of a tricky It's an odd phrase. It seems to be potentially a a reference to the solemn ceremonies that the Jews were expected to keep in honor of God. But walking in mourning could also imply repentance. It could be a combination of both. We've already seen where the people of Israel here have have asked God in in just the the last chunk, right? Verse 7 how how are we to return to you? We've never left. They're arrogant enough and not realizing that that they've sinned. That they, they don't think. Well, we've repented once. Why do we have to keep repenting? Because you keep sinning. I, <laughs> not that hard to figure that out. But the people throughout Malachi or through, uh, people of Israel throughout Malachi have just they've just been going through the motions of worship. They've just been showing up to get the box checked. But it seems now that they're, just, they're not just complaining about worship, but they're complaining about repenting before God. They have this, this we've repented once, where's our blessing kind of mentality. They, they think they can play this sort of weird re, 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 reciprocity game with God. We did something for you, now you do something for us. Church. Whew. That is a dangerous game to play with your faith. (laughs) Hear me out. The reciprocity game is a dangerous game to play with God. Don't heed this warning. Because nowhere in Scripture do we ever see God being some sort of quid pro quo kind of God. God is not a God who says, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's not how God works. And the people of Israel were were out there doing all the quote-unquote right things. But they completely had the wrong motivations. They missed the whole point of what they were doing and why they should be doing it. We are to serve God and to be faithful to Him because He has been faithful to us first. That's why we do it. See, they have everything backward, not just in their actions, but in their attitudes towards God. And then look at what they say. They say, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. What we've noticed here with, with Malachi chapter three is how much Malachi chapter three parallels and looks like Malachi chapter one. In Malachi chapter one, they they accused God of blessing the unrighteous Edomites, right? While while leaving the the people of Israel kind of behind and and, and left to struggle, right? They were saying, but God, we're your chosen people and you've left us floundering. God rebuked that claim. And then not only did he rebuke that claim, he brought lots of evidence to show them how that was not true. See, the people here have declared God's law useless and a waste of time. That's weird when you think about who these people are. These are people of the law. This is the Hebrew nation that, that, they, that they can now come before God and they, they see no value in His word. Right? And the reason they see no value in His word is because they're not getting any immediate gratification. That's tough like there, there there should be a point of, of us understanding this that that we live in a society of immediate gratification. We want things now i'm I'm amazed at how we get honked off at the microwave for not popping the popcorn fast enough, like we've forgotten how hard those old jiffy pop things were years ago, right? Or just heating up we had this big old pan that we used to do popcorn in that it took forever just to even get the boil hot enough in it, right? There's a blessing in delayed gratification. Don't miss that. The people of Israel have missed the blessing of delayed gratification in God. Learning patience is important because it teaches us to continue to honor and serve when it's tough. And that's a good thing. See, they're they're mad because they don't get that immediate gratification. And we have to understand something about who these are. These are the Hebrews. They're, they're people of the law, that the law was the heart of the ancient Jewish faith. It was the life of the people. Right? Psalm 119, 109, your, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Psalm one nineteen eleven. I have stored your heart up or your word up in my heart so that I may not sin against you. It is really hard for us to understand how much the ancient Hebrew people truly loved the Word of God, how much they were supposed to love the Word of God. Even Paul, who who believed in the Word of God, who was was true to his ancient Jewish heritage, Paul says, For I delight in the Lord of God in my inner being in Romans 7.22. And this is after he realized that the law was only to point him to Christ. He still says, I delight in the law. See, in 21st century in America, we think of the law, we think of we think of police officers, we think of lawyers, we think of judges, we think of legislators. We think of that sort of stuff as the law. And oftentimes, we think about them being a sticking point rather than something to delight in, right? And I especially think about this when I think of traffic laws. Nobody is out there really excited like, Woo-hoo, I get to drive 55 today, right? That's not how we think, right? I, I grew up having, having lived my dad's hot rod dreams through me. Like, he, I never had a car with less than 350 horsepower, right? It was just how it was. And so driving 55, I'm, I'm barely getting the car warmed up, right? It'll idle at 30. <laughs> we don't seem to, like, just love the law the way the ancient Hebrew people loved the law, right? And, and we often respond to laws, specifically when we're talking about like traffic laws, we seem to respond to them in, in like two ways. The first way is license, right? That's the no cop, no stop kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. Some of us guilty in there. I get it. The other is the legalism, right? That's the, uh-oh, there's a squad car up ahead. I better slow down to 53 instead of 55 in this 55 zone right? Neither one of these is a good approach. Neither one of these is right, even in accordance to the law. The sad thing is, is when it comes to God's law, the same two approaches are often taken. There's license and there's legalism, right? License brings people to think that forgiveness is so wide, they don't need to change when we come to Christ, if we're saved through, this is, this is the mindset, if we're saved through grace, through faith in Christ, and I have liberty to do I want, surely God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be holy. And there's happiness in becoming holy, right? Sometimes you might hear it say, well, that's just how God made me. Well, last time I checked, Jesus made me a new creature, and he's changing me, right? Paul says it like this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He tells us that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. See, as followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit has set us free. That is true. And as followers of Christ, we do have Christian liberty. That is true. But we cannot neglect that Jesus has made us new creatures. And in that newness, we are growing and we're changing and we're moving away from our sinful ways. Jesus is an agent of change for those who truly follow him. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is an agent of change for those who truly follow him. When you want to be close to God, you must obey the word that he has provided to you that lets you know him better. That's how that works. The other side of that coin is the side of legalism. This is putting up fences around the law of God that commands you from breaking God's law. Right? This, is, this is putting up fences, hedges, however you want to think about it. Now understand this. Guarding yourself from sin is not bad. It, it's actually good. It's, it's, it's commendable. It's, it's not a problem to try to guard yourself from sin. Right? This is, this is something that believers should be doing. And it's necessary to keep a close relationship with God to guard yourself from sin. But the problem is, is when you miss the reason for guarding yourself against sin right? If you continue to build fences, but you build your fences so high that you can't ever see the law to begin with, maybe you've missed what the word of God was about. This is kind of what the Pharisees were doing at the time of Jesus. They had built their fences so high that the word of God, the law of God was now out of view for them. And Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. There's a balance. And we find that balance in the Word, right? We gotta look for that balance. How do you have freedom and liberty and still keep appropriate guards against sin? It's through Jesus, it's spending time with Him through His Word. See, it's impossible to do this on your own, you're gonna go one way or the other. But Jesus has made it possible through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection. This is possible, that we can, we can balance where we're supposed to be. When you repent and you call on him and you, you ask him for forgiveness, it's his righteousness that's then imputed into you. Right when, when you repent and you put your faith in Jesus, he makes you new. And in making you new, the Holy Spirit of God then indwells you and guides you. This This is the motivation that drives us to obey. This is the heart that says, obey the word of God. So you you can take the Bible, and you can take all of the commands of Jesus, and you can try really hard on your own to follow them. But the thing is, is in doing that, you can still feel really far from God. Obeying the rules doesn't make you close to God. Being close to God through Jesus Christ makes you want to obey the rules. You see the difference? Obedience is to be a show of love. Now, as we look at Malachi, we see the people had missed this. They obeyed, but it was not out of love. They had strayed in both their attitudes and in their actions And God is using Malachi to call them to change. And if if we're listening, we're listening to the word, we'll notice that he's calling us to change as well. Malachi 3 verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. There's this group of people here who have heard the word of God and have come under conviction. Now, whether they were folks who were already serving the Lord and in obedience and had right hearts, if they were what we would refer to as the remnant, that was there kind of listening in like, God, you're you're yelling at all of them, but we're trying to do what you've called us to do. We don't know. Or if they were folks who heard it and came under true, genuine conviction and repentance, we, we don't know who they are, but we do know that they were there. And God had been bringing about judgment on those who blasphemed his name. And now he hears and he's attentive to those who seek to honor him. And these people were seeking to honor him. And there's there's a book of remembrance written about these people. That God is writing down their names, keeping track of who they are. That, that God will remember them and will judge their good deeds in righteousness as justly as he judges the evil deeds done by the wicked and the blasphemers. And that's important, that God will remember them forever. And this is that word fear, right? Then those who feared the Lord. That word fear is translated from the Hebrew word yare, right? And yare means to fear, but it also means to show reverence and respect. There's three Hebrew words that mean fear. And and and. The other two words in Hebrew that mean fear mean to like tremble or to cower in fear. This is the one that that has a little different nuance to it to be respectful and to show reverence. This is not a cowering fear. this is not a fear of dread before the Lord. and when the people feared the Lord they showed him that reverential respect. This is the kind of fear that that the Lord instills a change in the hearts of those who possess him. This is, this is when you see who God is and, and, his, and the majesty that he has and, and everything. You're just, oh, wow, okay. And there's this realization kind of fear, the awe fear, the, the amazement kind of fear, the I've, I, I need to make sure I know where my place is because his place is so much greater than me kind of fear. This is the kind of fear that the Lord instills in the people whom He changes. And when you fear the Lord, your God, this way, when that's really there, you start to possess godly wisdom, and you're going to seek out godly wisdom. And it's a beautiful thing here that we see. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, right? The people who feared God did what was natural. They began to talk about God. The text is vague in what the people spoke about. That's, that's all right. It's one of the beautiful mysteries of Scripture. right? But what we know is whatever it was, it honored and glorified God. And the people who feared God esteemed His name. See, so when you have a reverential and respectful fear of God, you're going to be motivated to change your attitudes. <clears throat> you're going to be motivated to change your actions toward God. You will proclaim the goodness of God. And you will seek out others who wish to do the same. Mm. And I love what God says in verse 17. He says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. I just love this. I love how Malachi has all these wonderful allusions and pointers to Jesus. See, so God has given two promises here. He's promising to make those who fear him his treasured possession, and he's promising to show them mercy. And, and the thing is, 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 is so wonderful that, that God has done this through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's such a beautiful picture of lasting hope and of lasting remembrance forever hope, forever remembrance. And, and that, that phrase, treasured possession, right? This, this is like, like having a safety deposit box of your most prized and precious items, whatever those could be to you. See, see, when you're surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, when you've given it all to him and you obey his commandments in this reverential, respectful, fearful manner, You become a private keepsake to the God of all creation. He holds you dear to his heart. Right? How amazing of a promise is that? That God will save you from yourself, not based on anything that you have done, but based on everything he has done for you verse 18. And now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is a reminder that that God knows and he remembers all things. He's not worried about that. Like God's like, I'll I'll take care of the evildoers and the wicked when it's time. I've seen this remnant turn their heart to me, and I'm going to remember that. He knows the difference between the wicked and the righteous. And God will judge them each accordingly. That's not something we have to worry about. He has taken care of that. So what we need to remember is that we are all sinful and rebellious people. That we have rebelled against God and we've rebelled against His truth. Because of, and because of that, we deserve death. Right? We deserve an eternal separation from God's favor. But God in his love, I love this, God in his love for his people that he created, he designed a way for the rebel to become a saint. Jesus, who is God in human flesh, came and lived among us. And in his life here on earth, he fulfilled all of this law that the people of Malachi's time were complaining about. He fulfilled it. fulfilled all of it. We can't do that. And not only did he fulfill it, he didn't half-heartedly fulfill it like they're trying to half-heartedly fulfill it. Jesus gladly fulfilled it. It was a pleasure for him to do so. And in doing, fulfilling that law, he has done for us what we could never do. He rescues us. He willingly takes on our sin. He willingly takes on our shame. He willingly places them on the cross with his own body. He willingly pays the penalty for our sin, sacrificing himself for our sake. But that's not all. (laughs) That's not the end of the story, right? Jesus was then raised from the dead. To provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to right relationship with God. We just have to admit our sinfulness and we have to stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting in our power, stop trusting in our lack of righteousness. We just ask Jesus to forgive us and rescue us. And when we do this, Jesus brings a new life into us and he begins the work of making us new creatures. Some people it's quick and, and, and spontaneous. Some, it's a little slower process. That's called sanctification, and that's okay. God, through Jesus, though, renews all aspects of our life. All aspects. Since we're thinking about these, these, these treasured possessions, right? We know that God sent his most treasured possession, Jesus, to die on our behalf. And as we live a life surrendered to Jesus, God then becomes our most treasured possession. Because he has treasured us, we should treasure him in return. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer?